next stop then in our journey through the book of Ephesians, where as we've been seeing over the past uh, weeks, Paul is writing to a group of uh, churches that are now spread out throughout the whole region of Asia Minor. Uh, by churches, think not buildings and programs like we would tend to imagine them, uh, but churches as in uh, extended families that have discovered Jesus, the gospel spread through their family, they've gone out uh, through their contacts, and other extended families have come to Christ, uh, and so on. Uh, and the gospel is growing organically as people relate one to another. Each Christian making it their mission, their responsibility to impart the Jesus life to another. And so the, the gospel was growing on times faster than we might imagine. Uh, on times it was growing without uh, 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 any sense of human organization, but simply as people related what God had so powerfully worked in them to others. So there was this spread. Uh, and Paul, several years later, having started it off in Ephesus, several years later, is running to these whole spread of churches to challenge and to encourage them to do what? To live it. To keep living out the Christian life where they were. In their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in their communities. It was not about uh, any set of uh, practices so much as living the life, as Paul puts it here at the beginning of chapter 4. Living a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so in a a kind of culture where it's easy for us to focus a lot of our time, a lot of our thinking on what we do when we come together, we have a Bible, in fact a book here, that is emphasizing us thinking about what we do when we go from here. The life that we're called to live, not as we gather, but as we are uh, dispersed. And so we read it there as a prisoner of the Lord. That's where Paul is right now. Uh, Although that's not dampening his enthusiasm or his spirits. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so he sets the Jesus context, the, the Jesus value. And then he says these very important words. Make every effort... Make every effort, somewhere here coming, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let the Spirit be the glue that holds you together. Let the Spirit be that which brings you, binds you, holds you, determines your unity. And so let's just pause for a moment and think about what Paul's saying as he talks about a unity that's glued together by the Holy Spirit. We'll know that we went through most of the Old Testament with not a lot of mention of the Holy Spirit. But as we got nearer to the life of Jesus, who was empowered by the Spirit, and as Jesus began to talk about the life of the believer after Jesus, living his life, So the language of the Holy Spirit, our understanding of the Holy Spirit, was being stretched and prepared to be ready. So at the end of Jesus' life, he would say to them, I want you to wait. Because you will receive from 
heaven, because I go to the Father, you will receive the Spirit, which will do what? Which will make mission possible. The Spirit was given for mission. The Spirit was given to empower, to enable the church to live the Jesus life wherever we were placed. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Almost the last words of Jesus. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In fact, Luke records uh, in his gospel, rather than the story of Acts, how the disciples were told very categorically that they needed to wait. You cannot do this mission. You cannot live this Jesus life. You cannot uh, carry on the Jesus movement without the anointing, empowering, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given for the mission of the church. In fact, when Jesus uh, is talking the night before, uh, or the night before he died, the night of his betrayal, and the Gospel of John records a lot of the things that Jesus would say to his disciples in those final moments. And Jesus is talking to them about how everything that he did, he did only what the Father was doing. He was listening to the Father. He was watching the Father. Uh, and he's beginning to say to those disciples, look, you, you need to go out and do the same. You need to be people that of the Father and seek to honour the Father and seek to obey uh, all that I've commanded you. And and as he was sharing those things, as he was sharing how they were going to carry on the mission that Jesus had started, then again he introduces this whole issue of the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Uh, And and what he commanded was to go and make disciples. Uh, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Just as a kind of little aside, Jesus talks a little bit about other things that the Spirit will do to make mission possible. Without the Holy Spirit, no one's heart will be touched or changed, so the Spirit will be at work. That's the wrong verse there. The Spirit will be at work. John, uh, in John, if you're making notes, John 16 verse 9 to 11 talks about how the Spirit convicts people's hearts, how the Spirit causes faith to rise. In other words, don't try to do any of this stuff without the Spirit, because it becomes totally impossible. Uh, And so we read in Acts, in these last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on, on which people? On all people. And then it says, in that context of the Spirit coming, of people being alive with the Spirit, your young men will dream dreams, or, or, or is it the old men that dream dreams, and, and some will prophesy and all that stuff, on everybody, both men and women, young and old, when the Spirit comes, it's the context in which people call on the Lord to be saved. And so the Bible envisages this unity that's centered around the Spirit, which is always compelling us into mission. There isn't another kind of spirit. And when some of the emphases in, in church life around our spiritual gifts and so on have lost their mooring from the mission of God, then very quickly and so often they've died. But as the people of God are committed to the mission of the Spirit, they find a power and a uniting that maybe they didn't previously know. The kind of unity that the Bible describes is, is uh, or has in, by some being given uh, this word, communitas, communitas. 
Why? Because uh, it's trying to sense, to, to, to speak of a, a greater sense of community than you might normally get. So, for example, when we were at war, uh, which is outside my experience, but not for all of us, when we were at war, people talk about a much greater sense of togetherness, of cohesion, of unity as a society. Because we stood together against a, a, a common uh, objective, a common foe in this case, and we will know it in our families. Inside your family, you will beat your brother or sister black and blue. And then when you get to school and someone says something against your brother or sister, you will walk away. No, 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 you won't. You will hopefully uh, stand up for them in the sense of a, of a common objective, a common foe. Uh, a group of people that have gone through a, an adventure together uh, are much more intricately connected than a group of people who have not faced the same pressure. We understand that. And so the, 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 the unity, the community that the Bible is speaking of so often, that, that, that some writers give this word communitas to try and express something deeper, more meaningful than the more ordinary community would look like, is because together we're going against a common foe. Because together we're, we're pushing on through a common struggle. And it's why when we, we find ourselves in a, in a comfortable place and lose sight of our mission and our purpose that our sense of community is harder to hold on to. Because it's when we go through these shared adventures that we are bound in a new and inextricable way. So if people share a trauma together, they will be bound in a way that they would not have been had that trauma not taken place. And Paul talks a lot about this. He says, look, he says, look, sometimes we, together, we're hard pressed on, on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. What's he talking about? He's talking about this sense of togetherness that we get as we go through this, this enormous, uh, battle of taking the gospel of Jesus to a world that's disinterested, uninterested, and sometimes quite hostile. And, and, and that kind of, we understand it, but it's, it's quite beyond our experience, generally, in, in our culture. But if you go to a different culture, Chris Pader prayed about the persecuted church. Why do you find faith in those places so much stronger? Why is it so much more likely that your brother and sister will lay down their lives to you in that culture? Because they've developed a deeper sense of their togetherness in the Spirit because they've been caught up in the mission of God. Jesus said the same, didn't he? He said, you know, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Where was the church when Peter was taken into prison, as we heard last Sunday? Earnestly, earnestly praying in the middle of the night, because something about that common experience that they were going through, something about the sense that they were under pressure, something about the sense that they were fighting for this common goal against an enemy that seemed large and menacing, brought them together in, in a new way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. And the church was earnestly praying. as a togetherness to be experienced in the mission of Jesus that transcends any other kind of community and togetherness we would otherwise seek to create. I want to move on, though, to the, to the kind of real guts of this chapter 4. 
uh, and uh, what's been called the five ministries. Remember Paul's writing to, uh, to, 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 to many different groups of Christians around a, a whole area. It's like a circular, a, a memorandum. And he writes about something that, that we've come to refer to as the fivefold ministry. The fivefold ministry. And you can see it there in verse 11. It was he, that's Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. This fivefold ministry. Now the question that immediately is raised, because of the way that we've thought about uh, this passage in the past, and because of the traditions that we come from, and it's probably true of most of the streams that we come from this morning, the question is raised, are these five things for everyone, or are they uh, uh, specific leadership functions for just a few? Now, there are a number of issues for us just to think about. In traditional streams of, uh, of church, Western church, the idea of these core ministries, these five core ministries, have largely been ignored in favour of highlighting one or two over the rest. So one of the things in our Baptist tradition that we're trying to rectify at the moment is that we have, have highlighted or raised up the gift of the pastor or the teacher over the others. And so if a, a church was looking for someone to come and be their minister, you would be invited to preach with a view. Uh, so we were seeking to understand God's will and purpose based on whether they could teach effectively. Uh, and that's not the same as pastoring. And it's certainly not the same as any of those other ministries. And so in our tradition, we tend to emphasize the preacher or, or then pastor. Sometimes we'd, we'd ask them, invite them to preach and call them our pastor. So we'd invite them to do a teaching function in order for us to assess them, but yet expect a different role out of them. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that Baptist Life is trying to do at the moment is to recognize evangelists, for example, uh, and maybe in time prophets too and so on. The NFI tradition... Uh, which is very much a tradition, it's not as uh, 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 long as, as, as Baptists, have been much better emphasizing the apostle over perhaps some other ministry roles in the life of the church. But maybe all of that discussion just masks the kind of greater issue that we need to face, uh, especially for, for, for people who believe as we do in the priesthood of all believers. That is, everybody is called to pass on, to live out the Jesus life. Everyone is called to be a minister of the gospel. And that's what we've celebrated uh, over the, the years uh, and continue to hold very dear that God's spirit was poured out on all. All, not on just a few to do the job while the rest uh, uh, sort of support in some way, but the spirit was poured out on, on all. So, so, so what do we make of these five core ministries uh, and who are they for if the Holy Spirit is poured out on us all? In fact, the book of Ephesians, right the way through, and if you've missed some of the previous uh, sermons and you, you catch up with them, you'll, you'll notice that again and again we've been talking about how, how this, is, this is for everyone. It was written to all the saints, the ordinary Christians uh, in and around and from Ephesus doing extraordinary things. 
So maybe as we get to chapter 4, our assumption that this is restricted to a few people needs to be helpfully challenged as we just think about it together. So look with me a little bit more closely, perhaps, at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace, from which we get the word gift, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one. That sets the agenda. That sets the kind of foundation for what follows. Each one, that's you and me, that's each Christian spread all over Asia Minor, has been given grace as Christ apportioned it. A little interlude about Christ coming down and then going up. Jesus said when he goes up, he'll send the Holy Spirit who will administer the gifts. So if you take out the kind of uh, the, the, the little aside, as it were, in verse 8 and uh, through to 10, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be uh, apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So is each one of us graced, gifted with one emphasis of five different ministry emphases? Could be, in the words of Scooby-Doo. Like we all have different personalities, introvert, extrovert, starters, maintainers, finishers, we had four kids hoping to find a finisher, not sure whether we found one yet, routine, variety, Uh, and we categorize ourselves. What Paul's saying here is that the Spirit in his wisdom has kind of given each of us what I'm going to call a, a ministry personality, a particular emphasis in the way that we live out the life that God has given us. Ministry is serving God's kingdom. So let's try and think a little bit out of the box because we immediately think about these five as being things that only happen in a kind of gathered, structured church. But he was writing to people that weren't in a gathered, structured church who were out there living it and saying, some of you are apostles where I've placed you. Some of you are prophets where I've placed you. Some evangelists, pastors, teachers. You get the, you get the idea. So could it be that each of us carry a ministry personality that God is calling us to flourish in. Before we get into the detail of that for a moment, perhaps just step back and think uh, about what's going on here. Jesus asked us to carry on his ministry. Therefore, go, make disciples, just like I've done, baptize them, just like I've done, and then teach them to do everything that I've been teaching you. So in other words, take what I've done with you, and I want you to go and I want you to keep doing that. Keep uh, uh, making disciples that will go on and make disciples. That's what Jesus did. And at the end of his life, as he broke bread and shared wine, he, he talks about being the body of Christ. And Paul, remembering those words, says, now you, speaking to the Corinthians, but he might as well spoke, speak, uh, be speaking to us or anybody else, now you are the body of Christ. So what Jesus has done in the flesh, now many of us together, as the body of Christ, are to carry on living this out. Now the interesting thing about that is that Jesus exemplified in his life these five different emphases. Jesus, of course, was an apostle. The apostle. Apostle simply means one sent. The person who was sent 
from God. An apostle is someone who is always pushing out the boundary of the kingdom. Apostle is always one who says, well, can't we take the kingdom of God over there or to this group of people? Can't we try this in order to reach that group of people? Uh, And they're always uh, reinventing, as it were, the context in which the gospel is preached and explained. And Jesus was like that. He never settled in one place. He said, I can't stop here. This village has heard the gospel. I'm going to go to another place, a, a new frontier, and take the kingdom of God with me there. Jesus, of course, was a a prophet in the fullness, the fullest sense of of that word. He says, everything that I say and do is a reflection of the Father. Prophet is someone who's very keen to listen to what God is saying and to speak out what God is wanting to reveal to his people. And Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was an evangelist. He was the one most comfortable with the Samaritan woman. All kinds of reasons why culturally and theologically you would not have associated with them. Jesus was comfortable and says to this woman at the well, will you give me a drink? I'm engaging you in conversation. I'm happy to be in your presence. I'm happy that we pursue our time together here. And so we can go on with all of them. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the pastor. And finally, uh, Jesus, the teacher, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them. So, so do you get the idea? There, there are these themes that Paul's talking about in Ephesians that we see manifest in the life of Jesus. He came to the end of his life and he said, not just to one, but to many, now you are the body of Christ. You are to manifest, to carry on the mission that I started. We might therefore expect to see these five core values, if you like, these five core ministry emphases expressed in the now body of Christ. So which one, which one do you most identify with? Which one do you most identify with? Are you an apostle type? Always trying to push the edge further. Not happy with uh, the status quo. What if there are people that don't come into church that we could reach? How are we going to reach them? What if there are people in my street that have no idea about the Bible? How am I going to reach them? What about the people that I work with that are totally disengaged with uh, any, any reference to uh, a faith? How am I going to reach? You're always pushing out. These are pioneer type people, usually. Now, it may be, uh, I think is true, that there might be uh, a good number of apostles. But we've never allowed that dream to take place in our hearts. Because traditionally as church... We, we, we've operated as, this is the church vision, we need some volunteers to support this vision. And an apostle goes, to that. Basically. What if we turn the whole thing on its head, as we have been doing, and say, well, well what is it that God's stirring in you? And suddenly allow the apostle dream that might be in you to come to the fore. Start dreaming, permission to dream. You see, the apostle asks the question, are we leading the people of God to their destiny? Are we leading the people of God to their destiny? Are you an apostle type? Are you a prophet type? Prophets are spiritually sensitive. 
They find it easy to see spiritually what's going on. They find it easy to to, to hear from God and to share what God is saying. They'll often have pictures, words of knowledge or insights to share. You'll know very quickly in a group, won't you? If you start praying for one another in a group, there'll be a few people that will quickly and easily have words of knowledge, pictures, things to say, things to share. They're your prophets right in the midst of us. For the prophet, the question is, are the people of God hearing his voice and responding to what God is saying? Are you an evangelist type? You love being with non-Christians. In fact, being with all these Christians really does your head in. You love to get out there with people that are not yet believers. You love to share with them, to immerse yourself in them. In fact, moments with them is the oxygen that you breathe. And they think of everything from the not yet Christian's perspective. And in a discussion, that's the position with which they come from all of the time, or most of the time. The key question that the evangelists among us are asking is, are new people entering the kingdom of God? That's their question. And they come from that place. Then there are pastors that excel at caring, empathizing, encouraging. They get alongside people. They're comfortable talking about someone's inner feelings and people's inner world. They have a heart for healing and deliverance. They could be uh, especially hospitable. And they're asking all the time, are the people of God showing compassion to those around? Are the people of God showing love and compassion to those around? And then finally, there are teacher types who love to explain and enlighten the truth. They'll be good perhaps at helping people grasp spiritual truth or spiritual knowledge. There'll be people that when they open the Bible, it helps others connect with what's being said there and so on. And the question that essentially the teachers are saying is, are the people of God immersing themselves in Scripture and then living it out? And so we come with these different emphases. Now, just like with personality types, just like with all of that stuff, there's no fixed demarcation. We will dip in and out, all of us, as we follow Jesus, all five, if we're mature in the faith. We'll dip in and out of all five. But there'll be one in which we will operate more comfortably. There'll be one that will be our particular strength, our particular gift to the mission that we are on together. So just a few comments about these before a final challenge. The first is, you have a strength. There is an emphasis that you have if God's word is true. And uh, there might be many reasons Why we don't feel like that this morning, not least because we're not sure that we believe in ourselves, not least because that particular aspect of our lives has been encouraged or found opportunity. But this is what it says, Ephesians 4. He's given some to be this, some to be that, some to be that, some to be that, some to be that. But he's given something to each of us. Hello? Verse 7. That's the deal. So we all have a strength. And if you have a strength, then use the strength that God has given you. Because we need that strength in our mission, in our life together. But equally so, maybe not equally so, but alongside, we need to grow in awareness of the others. 
If you only operate in, in, in where you are, as it were, without an awareness of the others, you will remain quite immature in your particular ministry personality. For example, the teacher who gets so excited about imparting spiritual truth, and everyone goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, but then goes and does nothing about it, but the teacher is so focused on imparting the knowledge that then we've totally missed the vote. Because it's not about teaching us to know the Bible. It's about teaching us to love the Lord Jesus and to live for him. And so it's easy if you don't recognize the others for the particular thing that you might focus on to become, uh, 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 to be operated in a kind of less full or a more immature way. For example, if you're a pastor type and you, you, you want people to feel loved and you want to comfort people, and that's absolutely the right thing and we all want that for everybody. But it's easy, it's easy then not to challenge where people need to be challenged. It's easy then to overlook things that aren't quite right because we just want to keep people happy. And so the pastor is susceptible in that way. And you can see how you go through all of these. The apostle is susceptible because he or she thinks everybody wants to get out there. And everyone else is going like this. And and might fail to recognize that. So can you see how we, we need to grow in our strength, but we need to, uh, as we grow, uh, have a wider appreciation of the other four that might not come as naturally to us. And my experience is, through our lives, that there are different seasons when Jesus calls us to dip into different things in order for us to grow in maturity. And so there'll be a season in our lives when God's particularly challenging us about something that we're less comfortable with. So I've been going through a season in my life where God's been challenging me about the prophetic because that's an area that I would be less naturally comfortable in. But that doesn't mean I can't hear God speak and can't say what he's saying. In fact, I should learn to hear what God speaks or says and and learn to uh, share with others what, what he's saying. We need all these functioning for mission. Remember, it's the unity of the Spirit, and the Spirit, through Jesus, pours out these on the church. So we need all five reflected. And it's one of the reasons why we do mission together, mission in communities. You look around the group of people that you might do mission with, whatever you call it, have you got these five things on the go? Because we'll need them on the go for the body of Christ in that particular expression to be built up. And obviously, just to be clear, it's not an opt-out because you might not feel you are, have a particular pastoral gift, it does not mean that you are not called to care. That stands to reason, doesn't it? And because you have not got the evangelist gift, does not mean you are not called to share your faith. And because you have not got the apostle gift, it does not mean we are not called to follow their lead in our community, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so we, we, we just need to, 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 to see what God's doing in us, appreciate what God's doing in everyone else, understand that there are these five things going on that we need to hold in tension, and so on and so forth. And fifthly, these things uh, can so often be seen in not yet Christians too. These are things that God's built into the people that we are. So there are apostle types in the workplace, aren't they, that find themselves on... Uh, uh, on, um, uh, uh, what's the Alan Sugar? The Apprentice. That's the extreme, you know. 
uh, entrepreneurs and so on. There are pastoral people that find themselves working in the health service, in the social services, and so on and so forth. Can you see how those things are, are, are mirrored in, in, in lives that are, that are not yet redeemed for, for Jesus? So, fivefold ministry. What is your ministry personality? Which one do you most relate to? You might already know, or this might be a completely new idea to some of us, and you're just beginning to think about it. You're not even sure that you can hold the five kind of um, uh, sort of summaries in, in, in your mind. Well, one of the tools that I'm going to invite you to use is, is an online survey. We've got paper copies as well uh, uh, for, for people to have. There's this fivefoldsurvey.com. That's all it is, fivefold survey. Go into it, answer 80 questions, and uh, it's just a tool. It's not God speaking to you, although it might be. It's not perfect. It's just a way of helping to feed back from the way that you respond where your emphases might be. Now, in our small groups this week, there's going to be opportunity to talk about it. So if, um, if you're in a small group, uh, in fact, if you're aware of people in your group that, that aren't online or anything, then your small group leaders have got all of this on paper, and they'll, they'll get it to you, and they can help you uh, with it, and, uh, and that's all ready to go. If not, though, most of us can get it online. Find it online before you go to your small group. Take you about 10 minutes, maybe, maybe not even that. Uh, uh, get a little reply back that just simply uh, says, well, in the way that you've answered these questions, you seem to have a much stronger emphasis as a whatever it might be, and, uh, uh, and go to your group with that ready to share, and, and, and be asking questions around the group. Well, as we, as we seek to love and follow Jesus, and maybe in our group think about mission together, then, then what, what's missing here? What's weak? Where are our strengths? Where are the things that we need, we need some help with, and so on? And then lastly, and most importantly, how are you using the ministry personality that God's given you? For the mission of God. So if you are an apostle, dream where God might be sending you, even if it's only across the garden fence, which isn't ever only across the garden fence. If you've got a pastoral heart and thought, well, I've, I've never been on a pastoral team in church, well, do that by all means. But if you've got a pastoral heart, who are the people in my workplace that God is giving me to love into the kingdom. Who are they? And you can do that with all of them. If you're an evangelist, what should I do this week to make sure I'm at the well more often? The coffee machine, the canteen, the school gate, wherever the well is in your... You get the idea? Let's pray.